This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, episode 48. This is Writing Excuses. NaNoWriMo, week five. Welcome to the end. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dong Lun. I'm Aaron. And I'm Dan. Congratulations. You have made it to week five. Uh, For those of you who are still writing, and all of you should be, because we believe in you, you are now trying to wrap this thing up. And listen, if you lost steam, you don't have to have 50,000 words. This is about just moving forward. You can save this episode and listen to it when you're ready, but we're going to be talking about how to wrap up your novel. Uh, So, what are some things, like, when you are thinking about moving towards a satisfying ending— what are what are some of the elements that you think about as hmm, this feels this feels good? It's funny. I have an issue editorially in thinking about endings. I have such a bias towards openings and the beginnings of book and all like getting into the story and getting asking all these big questions that I sometimes forget to think about how important the ending is. So I've made it a real focus for myself in the past few years to really pay attention and really care about how a book ends and how we're moving on from the story Um emotionally, right? And there are so many very famous authors, very successful authors, who are notoriously bad at endings, where the book just kind of stops, right? And so I think we criticize those endings, but there's a way in which maybe we can think about endings as a broader category than just making sure there's a long denouement where everything is fully wrapped up. But um, overall, I think making sure those parentheses are closed that we were kind of talking about last week, um, as we were talking about, you know, starting to get to the climactic beats, um, and making sure certain things are tied up. But how do you prioritize what are the things that you want to close off? What are the things you want to leave your reader with a real sense of resolution on? And what are questions you want to leave open? I think endings are difficult because they're quiet in some ways. Not all, but they're the moments where everything you've been doing sort of resonates in the room. It's like the moment after a concert ends when you can still hear the mild echo of the music in the air. Mm. And there's something like really beautiful about that, but also frightening in the stillness because it's sort of, you don't have the candy bar scenes that we were talking about and uh, last week to like distract you. You really sort of left with with you in the words. And I think that's why a lot of times I'll say for me, I had a real tendency to like just try to murder everyone <laughs> at the end because then there's no one left to be in the quiet <laughs> and in the stillness. I can just be like, the end, they're dead. But I actually have found out that uh, it's, somebody told me once that like landing a punch, uh, when you punch someone, you want to actually let that impact happen. If you mm-hmm. punch someone and then go to black, you never really see them feel it. And that endings are the moment where actually your characters get to feel everything that has happened. And as frightening as it is, it's really important to also give your reader an ability to feel what has happened at the end or throughout the course of the book. Yeah, I love the way that The Wire ends. Um, As much as I think season five went wildly off the rails, that final moment, uh, you've got McNulty driving down the highway with a person and he stops and he gets out of his car and he just stares at the city for a while. And then we get a chance to see, like, 
what is each one of these people doing? And we get to see McNulty thinking about it and digesting it and processing it. And then he gets back in his car and he drives away. And giving your characters a chance to process what has happened and what they've gone through gives your readers that same chance. Rather than just yanking out the rug and saying, thanks for reading my book. Imagine for yourself what happens next. One of the things that I had a lot of problems with when I started the, the switched from short fiction to novels is that I would end my novels with short story pacing. Mm-hmm. That I would, I would stick the landing and I'd be out. And because novels are about immersion, I wasn't giving my readers time to, to absorb this, the, the denouement that we, we talk about sometimes. So what I've started realizing is that I need to give them the same things that I gave them at the beginning of the book. I need to ground them because my character is in a different emotional place. They're often in a different physical place. So I find that if I start thinking about it with the, the why, where, who, and how that we talked about at the beginning, that I, I, can, I know more of the elements that I need to include. It's like it helps me ground my readers. Like, who is my character now? Who have they become over the course of this journey? What physical action are they doing in this scene that conveys that to the reader? Uh, where are we? Like, how is the status quo changed? Like, what does the the environment tell me about mm-hmm. this new this new landscape? And like, why is it important? So those are the things that I will I will be thinking about. Like, we're talking like the very very last piece of yeah. it. But it's it's that, um, you know, looking back at the beginning for my answers for what we're talking about at the end. Some of it is what Dan was talking about in a previous episode of the inverse thing, or you've heard me talk about it with nesting code. Uh, but that's that's what I start thinking about is easing them out in, in kind of very similar pacing to how I brought them in. If it was a fast opening, then I'm going to give them a faster-paced close. If it was a, you know, thoughtful opening that's going to tell me something about the the pacing at the end, so sometimes I'm looking at mirroring the kind of pacing that I had at the beginning. Sometimes I'm looking at doing an inversion because it's saying something about the changes that have happened in the across the course of the, the novel. Yeah, and sort of building off of that idea, I think there's sometimes one of my favorite types of endings that I run into that I think kind of plays into this is when the last scenes are just a restatement of the core thematic elements of the story that you've just experienced, right? So I think, you know, going to your Wire example, McNulty looking at the city of Baltimore at the end is just a statement about what this whole show was about, what this five-season project was, was we did a portrait of Baltimore, and now we're looking at it and reflecting on the journey that we went on. You know, um, one of my very, very favorite endings to a TV show what finished last year was Better Call Saul, uh, which, you know, I don't want to quite spoil it, but the way that it ends is such a statement of what is important in the show, right? Why did we spend all this time with uh, with Saul as he went on this whole journey and is making really clear, uh, crystal clear in some ways, the importance that love has in that story and what, you know, he stands for and what is important to him and who he wants to be, that is all restated in the final episode in this really beautiful, elegiac way. Um, And so I think when you're looking at your ending, it's almost a little bit like writing an essay in college, you know, where you start with, you state your theme, you explain how you're going to say your theme. That's kind of the opening to your story. And then you get to the business of explaining all the things. And at the end, you're like, here's my conclusion. (laughs) 
In this story, we discovered that love is real. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, there's there's a very simple boiled down version of how you end a story that can look like that, that I think can be so powerful and impactful. You know, I'm thinking about your punch example. There's a thing in Hong Kong cinema where you will actually see the punch three times, right? You'll see the blow land, and then it'll cut to the slow-mo impact of like, you can see how it's affecting the person who got hit, and then I'll cut back to the wide angle, and you'll see them, you know, jump backwards or fall down or whatever it is. So you see these three different beats and three angles on the same strike, and that's the thing that makes it feel so impactful to the audience of, like, you know, it can also seem corny when it's done certain ways, but so often it happens very quickly. You don't even really realize what's happening. You see boop, 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 and you realize that that guy just got crushed in that moment. He got hit so hard and, you know, you can feel his ribs breaking in that moment, right? And I think letting it sink in in that way and being a little obvious in your ending is not a bad way to go. If you've ever watched a GIF of like a disaster, someone falling down, something collapsing, and it ends right as soon as the disaster happens and you're like, but wait, I wanted to watch it land. I wanted to watch it fall. I wanted to look at the rubble for a minute. That's what we're talking about. That sense of, yes, you've seen the big thing, but you didn't get really get a look at the aftermath. And that's what really is satisfying about it. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the other tools you can use to make that disaster really satisfying. Hey, writers. Welcome to week five. How you doing? I wanted to share something with you. I wrote my first published novel, Shades of Milk and Honey, during NaNoWriMo. I also wrote multiple unpublished novels during NaNoWriMo. I've won NaNo, and I've had years where I could not hit that 50,000 words. So as you enter this last week, I want you to remember that every word you've written this month has been a victory, because the journey is the thing. By writing... You are learning to write. You are learning to set goals. You are learning about your writing process and what works for you. Whether you wrote 50,000 words or 5,000 words this month, you are a writer. All right, now we're back from our break, and we're going to talk about uh, kind of the messiness of it at all, I think. You had something you wanted to say. Yeah, I had a thought as we were talking about all this, where we've talked about closing things out and leaving things on this very resonant ending. And I think that can be really important. Um, In the categories that most of us work in, there's a lot of series writing. A lot of people writing trilogies, a lot of people writing ongoing series, and a lot of people are doing quote-unquote standalones with series potential. And so one of the things I would love to hear your thoughts on a little bit is how do you leave that door cracked open? How do you give the satisfying ending, make a book feel like a book, even if it's middle of a trilogy, right? And make the, the audience feel like, I went on a journey, this had a conclusion, I feel good about where we're ending, and still have more questions that to be asked, you know? Um, have They want more story. They want to spend more time with these characters. What do you do to leave that door cracked open? The trick that I've found is um, that, you know, life is messy and that I don't have to give my character all of their goals. Like, they don't have to achieve all of their goals. When you read a book and the character achieves all of their goals, those are the ones that feel too tidy. And so sometimes I don't, it's not so much that it's a cliffhanger, it's that I have deliberately left something unanswered. 
uh, and knowing that that can be a problem for later. But I think about, to give that sense of satisfaction, I think about how I want my reader to feel. And when I am looking at nesting things at the end, I try to make sure that whatever whatever solution, whatever goal thing uh, lines up with the emotional feeling I want my reader to have, that that's kind of the last beat I land on. And that's the thing that gives it this sense of closure as, an, as a standalone, while the the other questions that are still hanging there are are available if I want to use mm. them for, for future books. So, like, in Calculating Stars, um, you know, Elma achieves her goal of going to the moon, right? But I don't answer your questions about what it's like when she gets there. I don't answer your questions about what the next steps are. I leave all of that open. Her conflict with Parker is still a conflict with Parker. Like, that's not a solved problem. So I have all of that to play with when I come back to the subsequent books. And then this is outside of the scope of NaNoWriMo, but when I am looking at my next book, I look at my solution to the first one, and that becomes my problem for the second Mm -hmm. book. Yeah, I was thinking about the the fact we've talked a lot about try fail cycles, and generally a novel ends on a success. You, you know, I mean, it can end on a failure, but um, I think it has some sort of emotional closure. But it feels to me like it's a success that leaves something else to try, mm-hmm. and that thing that you're trying becomes the thing that is happens in the next book, and so that's sort of like so there's there's a finishing, but there's something more. Yeah, and and this is such a horrible thing to bring up the last week of NaNoWriMo, but a lot of a lot of what makes all of this work is the revision process. Knowing that, okay, we've reached this point, now we need to go back and set it up right. Getting to the end, having satisfying answers, really means you need to make sure what questions you're asking. Uh, in The Fellowship of the Ring, for example, that first book ends with the fellowship breaking and everyone splintering off into different places. And yet it does feel conclusive because Tolkien made sure that the question asked at the beginning is Frodo constantly wondering, am I leading people into danger? Can I really live with the fact that I am corrupting everyone around me? And so leaving the group behind and setting off on his own with Sam, that is a victory for that specific question. And so it feels, oh, okay, this feels very natural. We've asked this question. We've answered it. Obviously, there's other problems, but we've concluded this part of the story. Mm-hmm. But this is why we, when we talk about you, you have to keep writing and finish. This is why, because you don't know always what questions you want to set up at the beginning until you've gotten to the end. It's, it's like when I was an art major, I would see people, and I, I mean, I did it myself, where you would draw the perfect hand and the perfect arm and the perfect shoulder, and then you would step back and the entire figure was entirely out of proportion because you weren't thinking about the entire picture. Mm-hmm. And so with with novels, like one of the things that you can be doing for yourself during this last week is coming to an agreement with yourself about, oh, this is what I want the book to be. Like these are the, you know, and and if it doesn't match what you started, that's okay. You have a new understanding of it and you can go back and fix everything that you did Mm -hmm. earlier, later. I would say one other way to do that is if you want, if you liked what you had at the beginning and you feel like you've 
gotten away from it because that also happens is something that I like to do right before um, when I've done nano, like right before I get into the last bits is to actually tell myself out loud or actually, to be honest, tell my cat out loud (laughs) uh, the story so far, like not the every single thing, but like what I can remember of the story. And I find that what I go to, like the things that I choose to explain are the things that have continue to stick with me about the story that I'm telling. So I may have forgotten one subplot or one character, but like when I go to say like the Fellowship of the Ring, which I wrote during Nano, no, (laughs) (laughs) wow, um, is about X. Like that's what gets to the core of it for me. And then I can say, if that's the core, then what's the ending that works for that core? And then like Mary Robinette was saying, go back and, you know, fix the rest in post, as they say in in the movie business. Yeah, I mean, truly, when working with clients on projects, the the things that usually change the most are beginnings and endings, right? And often in tandem. You know, if the last act isn't quite working, then you'll find the roots of those problems in the first act. Um, Middles uh, always, I mean, every part needs revision, but the middle tends to be a little bit more defined from the jump. And then really, it it really is about asking questions and answering them. And so if if the answers are wrong, then maybe the questions are wrong if you know, and vice versa. So, you know, this is, again, this is NaNoWriMo. If you're not feeling super great about your ending, that's totally fine, right? We're not, no one's expecting you to have the perfect answer to the question that you didn't even know you were asking on day one because it's been a crazy month. You've made it this far, right? Um, and and one of the things that, that will also catch you here is that you're like, I don't know how to solve this. That my character has to solve this thing, and I don't know how to solve it. And you you feel like you're locked in because of everything that you've written up to this point. But you're the when the book is out in the world and you're letting other people read it, they never have to see this draft of it. Right. So you can always go back and just say, you know what? They could have solved this the entire time if they had only been able to tesseract spiders into the building with beads. (laughs) I knew it. But I didn't introduce the ability to tesseract earlier. So I'm just going to say that they can do it, and I'm going to make a note to myself that I have to establish that when I go back and do my revisions. So just go ahead and give yourself the tools that you need and fix it in post. Well, and one of the great things about writing, and NaNoWriMo does this perfectly, is you can... You can try different endings. This is what I said about free writes in the beginning. If you get to the end and you think, well, maybe this would work as an ending. Maybe this is a good solution to the problem. Write it. And if it doesn't work, don't delete it. Try something else and write that. And I know that for a lot of you, that is so painful. Me telling you to write a bunch of extra words that are not going to be in the final manuscript. Well, guess what? That's (laughs) most of this job. Yeah. Um, I had a project recently where... 500,000 words were written that went into the trash that will never see the light of day mm-hmm. for the 150,000 that got published, right? Yeah. And sometimes that's what happens, right? And I think one of the best lessons about NaNoWriMo is there's no such thing as a wasted word. There's mm-hmm. everything that you put down to pa- paper got you to this point. It helped you realize that these extra scenes need to be written, even if the older scenes also had to be, you know, put in a drawer somewhere. All that was useful work. All that was the work that got you to understand what your book really is and make your book the best version of it it could be. So I hope you're hearing us talk about revision and not feeling discouraged. Instead, 
be excited that you now have clarity about what it is you're trying to accomplish with your book, even if it's just a little bit, even if you have one degree more. I hope you don't have to write 500,000 words for the 150 that get published. That's not great. We all felt not great about that. But also, we all felt great about the book that was there at the end and so proud and so happy of the work that we did on it. Yeah. Well, and the same thing that I said earlier about endings, making sure that you're asking the right question to provide a satisfying answer. Apply that to your life. Apply that to the process. Apply that to NaNoWriMo. Don't necessarily think of this as... I'm going to end November with an awesome book. Think of it as I'm going to end November having learned how to write a book. And then even if the ending is weird or there's bits in the middle that are clunky and awkward, that's okay. You learned how to write a book. And I just briefly want to speak to the people who are like, hey, you know what? I'm coming up on 50,000 words, but I'm nowhere near the end of my book. <laughs> That's fine. You can, you can, we're talking about things in proportion right totally. now. <laughs> you are totally fine. Don't worry about it. You don't need to have like the ending. You just need to hold on to what you're aiming for. Yeah. And you can, you may want to take a break. You may say like, writing 50,000 words in a month was a lot. So even though I don't have the ending, like I want to get there. This is when you can leave yourself lots of fun notes and brackets like, and here's the part where they figure out the meaning of love. And like, here's where he diffuses that bomb filled with spider bees, you know? <laughs> like, and then you can come back and your future self will have the problem of figuring that out. But I hope the main thing that your future self takes away from it is you wrote stuff that did not exist at the beginning of this month and it exists and only you could have written it. That's right. And so we're going to give you some homework. Um, this is, again, a way to help you just keep moving forward, especially those of you who are, like, nowhere near the ending and you're just like, I got to keep going. I just got to keep going. Here's your homework. Gift your character with your insecurity. Brainstorm about what should happen next in the voice of the character as they're facing the challenges in the scene. Because your character doesn't know what's going on either. So all of that can just be part of your character development and the brainstorming process may get you closer. It also will just get your words on the page, which is very useful. You may wind up cutting it later, but after you hit 50,000 words. This has been Writing Excuses. Good luck. You're out of excuses. Do you have a book or a short story that you need help with? We are now offering an interactive tier on Patreon called Office Hours. Once a month, you can join a group of your peers and us, the host of Writing Excuses, to ask any question that is on your mind. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Dong Wan Song, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them. 
And I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.